Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hey, this is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. I love that movie podcast. And we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at patreon.com slash I love that movie. And uh, if you do sign up, you get a weekly bonus episode of my weekly roundups, and we're going to start covering The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so every week I'll have a guest on there, and we'll break down each episode of the show. We've also covered WandaVision, and we've covered uh, The Mandalorian. So <laughs> lots of stuff on there to listen to. We have a really good time on there, and I want to take a second to thank my top patrons, and they are Chris Balga, Michael Cross, Philip Barker, and Jeff Widman. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. And if you like what you hear today, guys, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Side note, I looked at our reviews the other day and we're up to like 45 reviews, which I think is impressive. <laughs> so thank you to everyone that's reviewed us. I appreciate it. Unless you left a bad review, then no thank you. But um, <laughs> so I have a new guest on here, which it shocks me that he's a new guest because I feel like we've had so many conversations, but I have Palmer on here. Say hi, Palmer. Hi, Palmer. How are you? <laughs> um, so, Palmer, you are from Academy Rewind. Uh, yes, yes, and we've chatted quite a bit over the, over the years. I can say that now. Over the years. Yes. Is that weird it's to been, say? It's been many years. Many <laughs> um, let's see. At least three or four. I was going to say, I at least four. I've been following you for at least four because it's been almost the amount of time we've been doing Academy Rewind. And then you have been on every year except the first one for the year end review. Yeah. So yeah, that's been, so you've been on for about three years running. Yes. And, uh, and I say that I'm surprised cause we've chatted so much that I'm like, Yep. It's like I thought I had you on, but I've only had Tim on, so this is my apology to you. Like, obviously, you should have been on here sooner. Uh, you definitely have to come back after this episode. I'm happy to have you. Um, I mean, it, it's fine, because I remember the second time you had Tim on, you had texted me, like, right afterwards, and you were like, I forgot Tim was on the show before. <laughs> i'm like wow i'm yeah that gives you a little window guys into my brain and how incredibly disorganized it is i'm you sure felt, i'm sure tim's told so you bad. yeah I've, i'm sure tim's told you a couple of times when we've recorded and he's like so i'm i'm logged on and i'm like coming and like i have to like run and and put on my headset and yeah it's scatterbrained. I mean, He's a very patient fair, person. <laughs> to be fair, it's because of the time difference, and he is an old man who goes to sleep early. <laughs> there you go. 
So yeah, I mean he yeah I, he's he's a busy man. I get it. I get it. Yeah. As I get yeah. older, I'm starting to feel the same way. So I understand. But thanks, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Oh, and thank you for it, having me. And in, in addition to Academy Rewind, if you want to introduce yourself a little bit, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So my name is Palmer. Uh, I've always really loved movies. I'm a comic book nerd as well. Uh, I got into podcasting about five or six years ago now. Tim does Beer with Geeks and um, Supergirl TV Talk, among other podcasts. And he had, he had asked me to come on to Beer with Geeks a couple of times before that and to sub in for Frank when Frank couldn't make it for Supergirl TV Talk at the very beginning. So we, I got into podcasting through that, and I've known Tim for forever, and we decided one day to do a podcast based around watching every Best Picture nominee ever uh, from the Oscars, which was both the best decision I've made and the worst decision I've made, because there are some, there are some bad movies that don't hold up well. Uh, and then after that, I started doing uh, Batwoman TV talk when, right. when Batwoman got announced because that was one of the characters that got me back into comics after a hiatus. So I, I, I've loved the character, and I really, I've really been liking what they've done with the show. Even though Ruby Rose left, I still think the show has been doing pretty good. So we'll see where it goes from there. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you probably remember, I remember the, the very first time you guys asked me to be on your show. I, you guys have that, you can tell that you and Tim are really good friends because you have that best friend thing where you guys kind of sound similar. <laughs> and I like straight up told y'all, I'm like, I, I feel like I can't tell y'all apart. And, uh, I don't mean that to be offensive at all. Cause I have the exact no, same I thing going on with a couple of my friends, like, uh, Kara or like I have another friend named Sandy and her husband's like when you hang out with Lisa you start talking like her <laughs> and then it's like you're you're Lisa for a day and I'm like there's just something about you know two people that really know each other it's like you have your own like almost like language and right. that's what's so fun about your show I think is you guys sound like friends um and you you have a lot in common so yeah um I, it always surprises me when we agree on stuff because <laughs> like, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it would happen as often as it does. And I'm not <laughs> saying it happens like all the time, but I, you know, but we come at it from two different perspectives. He, he has done, like he has taken film classes and is the, you know, the traditional like cinema, cinema geek as far as like, all the technical stuff and he knows like the framing and all and like what goes into the sound and all that. And I'm just there like with a visceral reaction of like, no, nah, I hated this movie. Like it was boring. Eh. Like, <laughs> You're like the rest of the world. Yes. Yep. <laughs> it's not, you know, we, we get kind of spoiled on these podcasts. Where we're like, everybody's, you know, researching all these films all the time. Okay. They're not. Um, so I think it's good to have a really uh, have a balance between the two of you. And I feel like I'm kind of somewhere in the middle where I've taken some film classes. But yeah. if you ask me to describe like different ratios or camera shots, I my eyes will glaze over and I won't be able to to speak to that. So I'm kind of in the yeah. middle on, I mean, on that. Literally the only time I can tell different aspect ratios is been late. It might be an IMAX, like in IMAX style theaters 
where you definitely see the aspect ratio more because oh for sure yeah it's like i can tell but usually someone has to like point it out to me and then i mean it's like i can physically notice it but it doesn't it doesn't impact my viewing the way it does for some and i totally understand like once you're really into something like that and you know a lot about it you know how the the sausage is made it's a little bit different um yeah but yeah i'm definitely more in the middle well we've blabbed a lot i've (laughs) i've made you go down a rabbit hole like i do but uh my guest always picks the movie so what what movie did you pick to talk about today today we shall talk about birds of prey and uh, let me get the full title. Yes, I was going to ask you that. Like, which title I, I are you going to call it? I always butcher it. It is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Later rebranded to Birds of Prey Harley Quinn. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's had and a then, couple iterations. Yeah. And now it's just down to like, like on IMDb, they were just like Birds of Prey. Like, like Quinn Hunt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Like, if you type in Birds of Prey, you'll get this and the very short-lived CW show, and that's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited that you picked this movie, and it, it sounds like, from the reaction that I got online, I always get a pretty positive reaction when we pick DC movies, because <laughs> that's, because you, you know, those... great followers. Exactly, brilliant followers, and, you know, um, I'm so pro-DC, that I tend to attract other DC lovers. And also there's a lot of, I think, crossover from the, the guys that follow you and Tim and, yeah. you know, and Scott and, you know, just everyone in that whole little circle. We, uh, we, we all, all love DC. We out our own little, like, section of Twitter. Exactly, exactly. So um, <laughs> this movie came out in 2020. I'm not going to ask you, like, how you first saw this and all that, because, I mean, I'm pretty sure you saw it in the theater as I did. Um and, you know, for anyone that's tuning in, you may want to go watch this first because I don't do like, a, oh, now we're going to talk spoilers. Um, it's probably going to be a, fo- a spoiler, a spoiler, a spoiler filled, uh, you know, discussion. So I, I would yeah. recommend pausing, going and watching it and then coming back. If you're still here, here is the summary of the film. Uh, It's open season on Harley Quinn when her explosive breakup with the Joker puts a big fat target on her back. Unprotected and on the run, Quinn faces the wrath of narcissistic crime boss Black Mask, his right-hand man Victor Zaz, and every other thug in the city. But things soon even out for Harley when she becomes unexpected allies with three deadly women, Huntress, Black Canary, and Renee Montoya. I, I love, it's like Huntress, Black Canary, and, and Renee. Renee Monta- yeah, and Renee. <laughs> and it's a cough. Yep. Like, <laughs> like um, code name, code name, real name. Like, yeah, that is interesting. And it speaks to some things about this movie, like, that made it a little bit controversial. You know, Birds of Prey, uh, being a, a, a big comic book fan that you are, I'm sure you are familiar with the original Birds of Prey, as am I. Uh, this movie looks pretty different from what's in the comics. So you kind of have to be okay with that going in. Even the core group, you know, is not typically Huntress, Black Canary, and Renee Montoya, although all three of them are comic book characters in the DC universe. You know, we're used to, you know, Batgirl, Black Canary, yeah. and Huntress. So, yeah. you know, this this is starring Harley Quinn as a vehicle to introduce birds of prey, but there's a lot of, you know, differences in this from the comics. I still think it's a great film, but th- that is something that people had a hard time with, I think. 
and and it's I you know I understand that to a point because I'm a I'm a stickler when it comes to to but more so I'm a stickler like if they take the name of a storyline mm-hmm. and use that as the title um, DC uh, so DC's done it a little bit with their animated movies like Hush and they got Long Halloween coming out yeah uh, but so if you take the name and it's and it's different from the storyline then I kind of get upset where this I'm kind of okay with um yeah, the you're right. Traditionally, Batgirls in the Birds of Prey, you still got two of the three core members, mm-hmm. and um, you know this this was also supposed to be the second movie of like a Harley Quinn style trilogy, right? Going, right. Going into like Gotham City Sirens, uh, I which know. you kind of see so painful. You, <laughs> yeah, which you kind of see get set up towards the end of the movie. Okay. So. I feel like if if Warner Brothers decides ultimately to either bring some sort of iteration back on like an HBO Max show or an HBO Max movie or even into a regular movie again, we would see Batgirl in the next movie with the Birds of Prey. Yeah, I think you had a really good point when you were talking about there are some storylines that are that would be painful to change. Like I'm not as connected as much as I like these characters, I'm not like, I don't have like tons of issues of Birds of Prey or graphic novels. I, I just, I don't have any. So for me, I, I like the team up. I think it's interesting. I think they're great characters and I'm sure there's a lot of great stories, but it's not as painful as like that Batman Hush movie was. You know? like, Thank you. I, okay. So like I watched that with my husband and at the end he was like, oh, that was interesting. That was good. He hasn't read Batman Hush. And I'm like, it's just... Uh. It's not hush. Yeah, I'm like, this is... No. And I, I get what they were trying to do with, like, well, everyone knows that story, so let's, like, tweak it and make it, like, fresh and new. But it just didn't work. And then when you combine that with, like, the art style, uh, just all yeah. of it. And they you know, and they do do that a lot where I'm like, you know, I'm excited about the long Halloween, but they're such iconic storylines. It's like... Don't try to improve them. Like, if you're going to pick that title, just do it. So I I, I hear you. It's funny because, like, they're a little bit schizophrenic uh, Mm -hmm. with those animated movies because they did, like, a two-part Dark Knight Returns that was pretty faithful to the the story. Yeah. They, the second attempt at Death of Superman, um, the first part of that was almost exactly like the death of Superman storyline. Now the second part was nowhere near that, but so, so they, they can nail it when they really want to. And as far as like the death of Superman animated movie, which is as far as their animated movies go, my favorite, I think what really helps was they had the writer on there was writing Superman comics at the time. Um, and he like knocked it out of the park Mm-hmm. And I, I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head. Um, Peter Tomasi, that's who it was. Um, he, he was doing Superman right at the beginning of Rebirth. And he, he gets Superman and he gets everything. So, you know, that was really good. As far as the Birds of Prey go, though, um, one thing that I think was really good was the, one of the writers who's most connected to Birds of Prey, Gail Simone, who kind of 
who's written, I think, more Birds of Prey issues than almost anybody. Right. And I think might have started them. Um, like loved this movie and yes. loved the the court, the group that was there. She so loved the she casting and yeah, yeah, she put a big stamp she, of approval on yeah, it. Yeah, if she didn't really have a problem with it, I don't see why others should. Like, Agreed. it is a group, so I don't. You know, yeah, I would love to have seen Batgirl, but of course, you know, you're already introducing four characters into mm-hmm. this movie, so. Yeah, I would say, like, Gail Simone's pretty open-minded about interpretations as long as I think she feels like you get the core of the character. And she seemed to feel that Huntress and Black Canary in particular uh, were pretty faithful adaptations and, you know, in in, in spirit. And so she, you know, everything else, the costumes and, and stuff like that is, like, relatively minor by comparison. And I completely agree. And yeah, there's been some really good DC films that are animated that were pretty faithful. You know, I, I love um, Under the Red Hood, which is a little different oh, yeah. from the comic. But I think yeah. that the comic, the guy that wrote the comics was involved in the in writing the script for the movie, too, I believe. Um, so, you know, but yeah, just there's been some good and there's been some bad. But um, overall, I enjoy them. Uh, I've got a couple of quick facts that I want to spit out. Before we dive into the film itself, uh, the first one that I have is that before Ewan McGregor was cast as Black Mask, uh, Nicolas Cage, Charlotte Copley, and Sam Rockwell were considered to play Black Mask. Yeah, Rockwell, I, yeah. I saw that. Rockwell passed on the role but was considered the archetype for the casting, which 100% no shade to Ewan McGregor, but I think I would have liked to see Sam Rockwell be Black Mask. Can I admit that? Uh, you can. I I honestly think if um, if Rockwell was Black Mask, it would have, to me, it might have ended up being just another version of um, Charlie's Angels. <laughs> uh, no, he was the I bad was guy in that. Say, <laughs> I was actually going to say um, uh, the movie the movie he did, directed by George Clooney, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, or something, where he played uh, the Match Game host. Oh, okay. No, I don't think I've seen that one. But I mean, it would have been Sam Rockwell, right? And you can yeah. you can kind of see that Ewan McGregor used his, his acting style as a as a blueprint for sure. Yeah. As long as Sam Rockwell didn't do uh, Galaxy Quest, I think he would have been fine. <laughs> um, he's less intimidating, even though he's played a bad guy before. So I can see like Ewan McGregor being like a stronger presence as Black Mask. So I will say that. But I still think it would have been interesting. Nicolas Cage, God, I want to see that unhinged version of this film. <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, yeah, Nicolas Cage, like, anytime I hear Nicolas Cage was about to, was in the running to play somebody, I always want the alternate universe right. where Nicolas Cage actually does it. Because I <laughs> I always had a, in, like interest to see like what he would have done with the Superman movie mm-hmm. and then when that documentary came out a couple years ago Superman lives the more I saw that I was like now I really want to see how bonkers <laughs> that movie would have been right right he just brings an energy and Black Mask in this movie has an energy to him that I mean it's not it's not that it's unfaithful to the comics but it is like I think turned up to an 11 a little bit yeah. um, he's less like menacing gangster and more like maniacal gangster which i'm all about like i think that's interesting and it's fun 
Uh, but yeah, and any one of those guys I think would have been good. But you know, we got a really good performance. I I think it's cool to see you Ewan McGregor play this type of role because it's not something we typically get from him. So this is true. And like his like normally I can't normally like his um, accents in movies. Uh, I never really latch on to, but in this one, like at times it sounds like, like it, he's straining his English. Yeah, it definitely, you can, you can tell. <laughs> um, the other one that I had, or one of the other ones I had was that Harley is happy to remove her various Joker tattoos over the course of the film. Uh, the J is turned into a mermaid and cups added to the word pudding, pudding, pudding cups. Yeah. Uh, the mermaid is probably a nod to Gotham City Sirens, which I had not thought about, but I love. I mean, yeah, the yeah, mermaid being a siren, um, but I, I, for some reason, because I watched this movie today uh, at work during the downtimes, and I noticed her right like tattooing cups uh, right next to pudding. I was like, huh, that you know, that was one of the weird things like I had, I missed here and there. Yeah, I definitely so, missed it. <laughs> yeah, so and then I, I read that and I'm like, oh yeah, yep. I I still I've seen the I've seen the J turned into the turned into the mermaid, but I haven't seen it clearly enough. Yeah, me neither. I I would say I didn't notice this watching it, and only read this after I rewatched it. But yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. The the last thing that I have, and this is kind of diving into, just you know some of the ongoing turmoil behind the scenes at uh, Warner Brothers. I, I'm really going to be sad about this one. <laughs> Birds of Prey was filmed between January and April of 2019 uh, after director Kathy Ann's first cut, director's cut, uh, was edited and shown to Warner Brothers. Uh, the picture studio executives and producers had mixed reactions to it. Uh, it was test screened to an audience sometime in the summer of 2019. And although there were some positive reactions, the vast majority of the test screenings, uh, audiences hated the film. Uh, especially the action sequences and original ending in which it was revealed that um, Diamond Cassandra Kane stole and contained, now this is contested, contained explicit pictures of Black Mask. Uh, Warner Brothers then demanded massive reshoots of the film, and in August of 2019, uh, Chad Stileski was brought in to direct all the new action sequences, and reportedly either Yan or someone else directed some of the new scenes, which caused the budget to rise up. Yeah. Now, if I remember correctly, Yan has has said that the black mask photos was not a real thing. Yeah, that's what I heard, too. Um, in fact, she it, she got pretty upset at a at a journalist who said, oh, it was going to be dick pics or something like that. And she. Uh, yeah, I believe I believe that might have been. Grace Rudolph. I think so. Yeah. And, and so, she clapped back and was like, you know, before doing, before directing, I used to be a journalist and this is like super unprofessional. You, you don't have a good source for that information. It's completely false. Like she went off and I was yeah. like, wow. I, I mean, mean, she was fiercely I, defending it. From what I've gathered, uh, because I don't follow her, I don't follow Grace at all. Uh, Me neither. What I gathered, like <laughs> calling her a journalist is like, using that definition in the loosest very loosely yeah yeah more of a blogger um <laughs> yeah but um, yeah it's we, but, we're in this like new era of 
I mean, even what I'm doing, it's like I'm not like a professional, you know, podcaster. I'm not a professional movie expert. So really yeah. anybody with a platform can talk on stuff. So I'm not trying to elevate myself there, but I don't like it when people share tidbits of information, no matter who they are, that are not verified because you can start some pretty ugly rumors. And I think like, yeah, the idea that it was going to end with a dick pic is pretty ridiculous. And yeah. um, there may have been a different... I mean, and if there were explicit pictures, it could. It doesn't mean it's a dick pic. It could be like some other thing that he didn't want to get out. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Which just would seem weird. Like, yeah. It doesn't seem like Sayana Roman in this movie would really care about that. That's true. Um, like he, like he would just be upset if the pictures like made him look unflattering. Yeah, like yeah. The, like the picture is like him just like slightly overweight, kind of like Ben Stiller at the end of Dodgeball. That would be like a funny way to end it, though, if like he's <laughs> that upset over that. Yeah. Like he's just that vain. I would I think that would be funny. Yeah. But um, yeah. But yeah, we do know that that there were that there were reshoots and mm -hmm. someone was brought in to help with the reshoots. Um, I've never seen Yan really like. Like. Although she says there is a bunch of stuff that she would love to for, to see the light of day, um, I've never really seen her like like really shame the movie. That right, she's there's out. no like release the yam cut. Right, you know because it, it is a little different from like Zack Snyder and even David Ayer, where they feel like their vision was changed. I think you know she she had never directed an action movie before, or and. Or really a big uh, and right. a big budget movie either. Right, I mean. that's true. And so maybe she thought, okay, we have to rework on the action scenes, and we're going to bring someone in that knows how to do that. Great, yeah. let's do that. You know, um, and I'm sure she learned a lot and gained a lot from that experience. There are some things that happen as aesthetically in the movie that I feel like were altered, and maybe we'll talk about those as we talk on. So I would be curious to see. Uh, I feel like there were some things added to maybe try to make it match more of the vibe of like Suicide Squad um, or to, to kind of bring some lightness to the film. But I don't think anything happens to where I'm like, this is a Frankenstein movie. You know what I mean? Like Justice League. Oh, or something. kind of. Like, yeah, Justice yeah. League or like, uh, what was it, Fantastic Four? Yeah. Like there's nothing uh, extreme, but it, it does kind of show you behind the scenes how there does seem to be a trend in. Uh, for that studio of, of going back and, and changing things. Although that's happened at Disney too. I mean, let's not forget solo, right? So these things happen, but yep. just wanted to touch on that briefly. Cause I feel like if we don't talk about it, someone's going to ask, why didn't you talk yeah. about that? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, like it's funny when, when WB does it, it becomes like this giant news story. Like anytime a WB movie or more realistically, like a DC movie, goes into reshoots it becomes a giant story and everyone's like well you know wb's changing everything the film must be a dumpster fire and then right. like, like disney disney hasn't done it to the extent on like say marvel movies although mm -hmm. plenty of their movies have have gone into reshoots because every movie goes into reshoots almost right and but studios right. always have almost always have a different vision than the yeah. creatives do. I mean, that's but, like but, normal business that yeah, happens. Yeah, but like <laughs> uh, Thor 2, they, you know, Patty Jenkins was originally the director. They axed her 
and brought in right. somebody else. Um, that you know that led to the rift between them and Natalie Portman for a, for a decent chunk of time. Uh, you had yeah. Rogue One. It happened on, and and you're right. Solo story was the more famous one out of all. Yeah, of the more the more like you know everybody kind of weighed in on it, and and we are kind of I've I've talked about this before, but we're sort of in this fortunate unfortunate place uh, with media right now where everything's happening in real time and we're seeing everything, <laughs> and it's like yeah. sometimes it's like. You know, people put so much stock into like a rumor. Like I remember when my dad was really excited about the Mandalorian, he was listening to like everything and he was telling me all kinds of gossip all the time. Like, oh, did you hear like Pedro Pascal and and, and Filoni aren't getting along and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, dad, I would take that stuff with a grain of salt because <laughs> people are quick to blow things up into a news story that aren't really happening or even if they are, it doesn't really affect the final product. So for the most part, unless, you know, there's been some stuff with Ray Fisher that I've been vocal on um, that I think kind of steps outside of the bounds of just behind the scenes drama. But um, there, there, there is a lot that happens behind the scenes that doesn't necessarily mean that a project's about to fail. You know, like he was approaching it like, Oh no, what if they get in a fight? And then like, there's no more Mandalorian. Ah, you know, and it's like, (laughs) don't, don't worry about that. (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, some some people are are creating content when there isn't any, um, and and they may have their own reasons for doing that. But you don't have to get too wrapped up in, in every single nugget that you come past. And um, I, over the years, you know, I, I was probably the same as him uh, a while back. But as I've followed stuff more, I've learned to kind of, you know, wait and see how things turn out. So when they were yeah. reporting this movie was uh, tr- tragic and going to be horrible, I was like, you know what? No one knows until it comes out. Right. And then it came out, and, you know, I, I really liked it, so I didn't feel yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah. Now, there are some things that I've heard about from the original cut that I would love to see. Um, one of, like, the main ones is um, there's, like, a full sequence of the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend that's what always pops into my head first thinking about this movie the yeah. way it was like sped up and truncated i'm like no like because i mean i think from the trailers I, I could not wait to see that scene and and it right. is painful that that's all that's in there i i 100 agree with you that's one thing in particular that i wish we got more of yeah and again like like so like we said like yen has never really said like i'm i'm you know, disappointed in what was released. And I don't think uh, the writer, um, Hodgson, has said that either. So they might have they might have reworked stuff and some stuff might have got changed. I would but I would, you know, if there was ever a way, because I would always love to see the director's original visions. Of like course, in a perfect yeah. world, you're giving them all this money. Let them do, you know, let them do what you pay them for. And you have the ability now to still you know, if if they were able to show a cut of the film to an audience, then chances are it doesn't need that much work. Like, it doesn't uh-huh. need as much work as, say, like, the Justice League needed. Right. So you probably have a vehicle to put it out, especially now with HBO Max. Like, mm-hmm. just throw it up on HBO Max and be yeah, like... Yeah, just as, like, a Benny. Like, here's some extra scenes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that would be great because I would love to see the extra scenes cut out. I would also love to see if they if the person that they brought in was was primarily to rework the action sequences. I would really love to see what 
uh, what Yan did with action sequences mm -hmm. coming off of like a very indie background. Yeah, because it could be like a fresh and interesting take. You know, yeah. it's a different perspective. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the cast? I know we talked a little bit about Ewan McGregor, but there's a lot of different faces in this movie. There are. There's this newcomer, uh, Margot Robbie. <laughs> Who uh, is having quite a moment that's lasted years now. Yes. She, you know, um, so if I remember correctly, at least for me, and I don't know if this is, if this is correct, uh, correct history but she kind of jumped on the scene with wolf of wall street i think so i mean i'm sure and, she did other things but that was kind of what put her on the map yeah well i mean she was because she is australian yes that sounds right yep, australia mm. okay yep. okay <laughs> every every good actor now every good actress now is from australia or new zealand or yeah, yeah you know england. england they have the the better acting schools yeah. i guess <laughs> uh, yeah, so, she, oh, that's right. She was also in About Time. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 that's true. And then before that, she was in the Pan Am, the Pan Am series that lasted... A minute. I th yeah, like one season. Um, so she really jumped onto this, uh, uh, to the page with Wolf of Wall Street, which I believe she was nominated for. That sounds right. Yeah, and that, and like that kind of kick-started her career. From there, she was the big short... And she's done some indie movies here and there. I, Tanya. Yep, I, Tanya, Goodbye, Christopher Robin. Uh, and then she became Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. And she's just been in lots of stuff. Um, and usually to, to, pretty, to pretty well acclaim. Like she yeah. was Sharon Tate in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly like... A, a, a chunk of that movie, but I love her and I wish she had more to do in it. I agree. Um, and then Bombshell, which was fantastic. Yeah, she had a great performance in Bombshell. Yeah. And then from there we go to, you know, an acting veteran in Rosie Perez. Who, mm -hmm. You know, I've, I have really always, I haven't always paid attention to her career, but uh, one of the things I remember her most from is It Could Happen to You. With Nicolas Cage. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. Um, oh, it's a it's a movie in which uh, Nicolas Cage uh, Nicolas Cage um, is a cop, and he goes out to this restaurant, can't leave a tip for this waitress, and he's like, "Well, I have a lottery ticket, and if I win the lottery, I'll split the winnings with you." <laughs> and she's like, yeah, right, right, whatever. Like, I'll never see you again. And he ends up winning. And he goes back and he's like, all right, I told you I'd split the winnings with her. And Rosie Perez plays his wife, who is not happy at all <laughs> about this. Yeah, I can but, see uh, that. Yeah, but it's uh, him, Bridget Fonda, and Rosie Perez. It is, it is a movie from 94, so it is, it is really good. But she's also in, like, Road to El Dorado, Untamed Heart. And uh, do the right thing. <laughs> oh, yep. Do the right thing. Um, she, she was in an episode of Frasier, apparently. Oh, I love that show. <laughs> you know, so she's been around for a while, and she is very much the elder statesman of the cast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was like a, you know, 
sort of a, not controversial, but people had opinions on her casting because in the comics, she's quite a, that character is quite a bit younger. But I really, I really enjoyed that they casted her in this role because I don't, yeah. you know, I feel like there's not enough varied ages of women on screen to begin with, with a lot of projects. And that that's something that's slowly changing. Uh, so I, I kind of liked the idea that Renee Montoya is instead of a, a rookie cop, she's a, you know, well-established a cop that hasn't gotten the promotions that she probably deserved as we find out in the movie. But I think that's a cool angle for the character. And it makes, you know, this group have a mentor that, you know, probably would have been Batgirl. But since Batgirl isn't here, you know, we've got Renee uh, as it's kind of like a stand in as like the the wise, the wiser, smart one, you know, yeah. a little bit. And uh, Kathy Ann fought for Rosie Perez. Really? Um, yes, kind of like kind of like um, some of the reaction. The studio kind of wanted someone a little bit younger. Yeah, because they're thinking uh, three hot chicks fighting crime, you know? Like, I know that's what they were thinking. And so I think it's cool I mean, that she pushed for her, like, no, let's, let's make, you know, let's make this, like, more of a balanced team. I mean, you still have three hot chicks fighting crime. You do. And, That's and a good theory, point. Not to take have... anything away from Renee Montoya at all. She's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and in theory, like, I mean, Rosie Perez is still is still, you know, getting it done. Like... Yeah, for sure. And um, it's kind of like, you know, there there was some pushback with, um, well, a lot of push. It was different than this, but with the the Ghostbusters, like the female version, they were like. Mm-hmm why don't you go younger? Why don't you pick these people? And it's like, well, the original was like middle-aged dudes. Like (laughs) the Ghostbusters don't have to be 20. So like, I feel like, you know, with this, like, I think it's cool that they have varied ages because like, even in, like in the Marvel movies, you know, they're not all 25. So I think it's, I think it's, um, it's good that they fought for that. And I think she was the right call. And plus the, the, the like seasoned cop thing is just, that's uh, always a fun character to me. Uh, yeah, and the fact like they like they mention it in the movie, and it's it's very intentional. Like they wrote her just as a like eighties cop show, like trope. Like, right, right. Like always saying like the cop show things. Uh, uh, from there we go to uh, uh, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, who was a fan who, if I remember correctly, was, like, a fan favorite casting because everyone yes. loved her from, like... Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I've still never seen, but I thought, like, she is so good in this movie. Like, I've liked her ever since... Um, since the second Cloverfield movie, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Like, she was, she was great in that. And so I was really happy to see her in this. And I think she just plays the character so well and is so adorable that it's precious. Yeah, I think like the first time I saw her was probably in Death Proof, which she looks like almost unrecognizable in that film now. But um, um, just because she's so much, she she's so young. I don't remember her. In Death she was Proof. like a cheerleader. Like she had like red hair. Okay. She think she's wearing like a cheerleader. Co- anyway, if you go back and watch it. And then she was in this movie. I'm looking for it right now. Yeah, I'm going through. Oh, that's right. She was in The Thing. The the remake of The Thing. She was Mary Todd Lincoln and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Oh, nice. <laughs> she was in a video short called Brie Larson Black Sheep, which I totally want to know what that is now. 
Man, I'm not seeing the thing that I saw her in. I wonder if I'm getting two actresses confused. Oh, she's in a lot of stuff I've seen that I don't kind of remember. Or maybe this movie's older than I thought. Uh... You got Ring 2, Sky High, Final Destination 3, Black Christmas. She really... Wolf Lake. Oh, that, that, that was a TV show. Um, It'll come to me later. I, I'm, I can't. Yeah, okay, let's see if she's in this. Yes, okay, weird. It's an, I don't see it on IMDb, but she was in this movie called Faults. Faults? Like, plural? yeah. Yes. Um, she... Okay, what is it let about? Me, let me make sure she's actually. Yeah, she's Claire. It's. Oh my God! It's so weird. Oh, it's right here, um, 2014. Right yeah, between a good day to die hard and Alex of Venice. So, oh, okay, you found it. Okay, great. Uh, I I don't think I realized it was 2014, but it, it's kind of like a dark thriller comedy. But oh, it's I don't want to give too much away. Well, no one's ever going to see it. But um, you don't know that. <laughs> basically, um, these parents hire this guy to help their daughter get removed from a cult. And then he goes to help remove her and she ends up, he ends up being like manipulated by her instead. And it was really cool and weird. And that sounds very familiar. Yeah. Um, it was like, I don't know, like he puts her in this hotel room where he's trying to like deprogram her, but then she ends up programming him and he ends up being trapped in the hotel. It's, it's, it was kind of a cool movie, but I saw it on, um, I think on Netflix, but no one else has ever seen it. So every time I talk about it, I'm like, she does a really good job in that movie. She's like, her acting range is like awesome, but I don't think, I don't know. It was like before everyone got so into cult movies, like movies that have cult themes. So I feel like if it came out now, people would be all about it. But um, it was before that like cult revival that we're in right now, you know? Right. It's like we're heading back to like the 70s for our <laughs> our content. Uh, just, but Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Journey Smollett, who yep. has been – Around for a long time, and I think has been having a little bit of a career resurgence. Yes. Um, so, as we all know, she started off in, well, she might not have started off, but she was in Full House. She was Michelle Tanner's best friend. I didn't realize that. That's funny. Like, you like you didn't know until now? Or? Yeah, yeah, I don't think oh, I did. Yeah, she was, uh, she was Denise in Full House. And it's funny because there are times like I can look at her and still see Denise. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't look like she's changed. You know, she just grew taller. Um, <laughs> but she was also like on hanging with Mr. With Mr. Hooper. Uh, oh yeah. Mr. Cooper. Yeah. I used to watch that. Yeah. She was also in uh, the Cosby show back in the late 90s, so I don't know oh, which yeah. iteration of Cosby oh, that was. Oh, using her actual name. Interesting, Journey. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. And then lately, you know, she's been in this, and she's been in um, uh, Lovecraft County, which was a great TV show, except for the last episode. But still, it's a great TV show. <laughs> everyone yeah. Should everyone should definitely watch it and just skip the last episode and I, you know, tweet at me and I'll spoil it for you. She, it, yeah, she's gorgeous in that show. Uh, Lovecraft Country. I mean, Maybe I, I'm, she is. But. And I think I'm just partial to like the, 
retro style, but I was like, yeah. almost didn't recognize her. I was like, oh my God, she looks so beautiful. It, it, I agree with you. It's a good show. I didn't mind the last episode, but you know, we, we don't have to, we don't have to hash that out here. Yeah. No. <laughs> we'll chat uh, about that another time. But, but I, you're right. I like one of the things I loved about that show was the visual look. Like it takes place obviously, um, during the civil, the, the, uh, civil rights movement time. And it really encapsulates that time frame perfectly with the look and the aesthetics of the show and essentially also encapsulates the time of like the Lovecraft style yes. uh, world. Yes. That's a, it's a cool show where almost every episode feels like a different genre. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed watching that. Um, yep. I guess we already talked about Ewan McGregor. I mean, I, I don't know if you have more thoughts, um, you know, uh, no, he was, you know, you have them and then you had, um, Ella J. Ba- uh, Basco. Yeah, newcomer. She was newcomer. like 12, I think, in this movie. <laughs> uh, when they were filming. Uh, probably. Like, she's little. She is young. Like Yeah. And uh, I think she's a Filipino, I believe. Uh, she is a Korean-Filipino actress. You are correct. Oh, yeah. Uh, her father, her godfather, Dante Bosco, is from Hook. Uh, oh, She wow. also plays um, Every Instrument Under the Sun. Apparently, oh, I didn't she know plays, that. That's cute. Yep, she plays guitar, ukulele, and piano. Oh wow! I can't play anything, so kudos to yeah this child. Um, that's and I believe Dante Bosco is the uncle of Journey Smollett. How interesting! Small yes. world. Um, it's a yeah, Smollett, actually. I remember. So you know, Cassandra Kane in this movie is extremely different from the comics. I uh, yes. Cassandra Kane, <laughs> orphan. Uh, ends up being Batgirl. Her signature thing is that she's a silent assassin. <laughs> so yep. she's like, you know, uh, she's one of the people from, I think, Raja Ghul. No, no. Uh, what was her father's name? Anyway, she's an assassin and she's badass. And so now they've kind of changed her background here to be, you know, street urchin. Um, <laughs> and that was something that was kind of controversial too, but I, I don't know. I'm able to be like, she's a different character from the comics and that I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, would I like to see the Cassandra came from the comics? Like, obviously, but you know, I, I was open-minded to this other interpretation. Yeah. And this is one of those instances where like, I, I never really read, like I, didn't read the comics around the time like she she jumped on the scene um which was during like the no man's land era of batman mm-hmm. um and then she became batwoman so i've never i never really had like the strong affinity for her that everyone else seemed to have so her being a different character in this i was i was completely fine with also like having a character that doesn't really talk a lot in a movie i don't know <laughs> yeah. i don't know how well that was gonna do i um, i mean it, it's like i could see a world where they just named her something else um my, my background with cassandra kane is mostly from like when i read a uh, batman and robin e- eternal and i think too oh, yeah, in some yeah. of like the side stuff yeah and some of the side the side like uh Scott Snyder stuff. Um, she's there, and I, I do like the character, but like you, I'm not as attached. I, I would like to see that version of that character for sure, and 
that's why I'm like, the only thing I could see is like if they had changed the name, because, you know, that character would not fit into this movie. Um, no. But, you know, for, I don't know. It, on the list of DC characters, I want to see perfectly represented on screen. Cassandra Kane is not at the top of the list, so I was no. also okay with that. I, yeah. I think we all agree that the, the name at the top of that list is Stephanie Brown. There you go. I'm yeah. I'm not going to argue with that because she's definitely towards the top for me too, <laughs> as you know. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, Chris Messina as Victor Zaz. That kind of yeah. rounds out the the uh, top part of the cast. I honestly don't know much about this guy, other than you know, in a picture he looks dashingly good looking. I know, like when he's Zaz, he's so creepy that it's like when you see him outside of that movie, you're like, this is the same dude. Um, yeah, I know his face is super familiar. Oh yeah. He was in Argo. I was going to say, apparently he was in Argo. So, um, looking through here real quick. I'm so professional oh, looking at it in the moment. Room. Yeah. Like he has he a was, face that looks was, familiar. He was Reese Lansing in the newsroom. Oh my God. It's another character <laughs> I wanted to punch in the face. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he's been around for a while, and I feel like he's got one of those faces that's like, I've seen him in an episode of Law & Order. Yep, Law & Order down here. Um, <laughs> he's that kind of actor, but, um, yeah, he's very handsome outside of this movie. I just, I can't find Zaz handsome because he's so well, no. disturbing. He was also, but <laughs> he was also in You've Got Mail. Oh, okay. Man, it has a, been so long since I've seen person. that. Uh, it's been a minute. I, I don't remember him in that, but I know I've seen that movie a few times. Um, yeah, but well, you're right. Yeah. He looks he looks uh, handsome outside of this. And <laughs> and, I, you know, that's a credit to him because. That yeah, he transformed. Like, yeah. Um, um, and as far as like comic accuracy on Victor Zaz, he was he was different. I think yeah. can agree than Victor Zaz is in the comics. And that's OK, because we've gotten comic accurate Victor Zaz in like Gotham or in uh, Batwoman this past season. Oh, really? And I'm okay with not like, he's a character that can be a little bit much because of like his modus operandi. Yeah. Um, it's like he uh, scars himself. Yeah. For everyone he, he kills does that in this movie, but it's not, it's, it's subtle not to that extent. Right. It's like um, more disturbing in the movie because it feels like, I don't know. It just feels like self-punishment. It's very strange. but It, it is, but it, he bounces <laughs> off of Roman pretty well. Yes, because I think there is like a psychological weirdness to their relationship that is also disturbing, but makes sense in the context of the film. Um, on that note, do you want to talk about some of your favorite scenes? Uh, absolutely. There's this part where the movie starts. And then mm -hmm. it goes for about an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, well, let me... Uh, let, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I forgot to also mention when we were talking about Margot Robbie, I was thinking watching this movie. Um, okay. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade. I'm not going to say any names. But I was listening to a, a film podcast when Suicide Squad came out. And the podcast I was listening to was ripping into Margot Robbie. I mean, she wasn't who she is today. Like, her career had kind of taken off, but she wasn't, like, as established as today. Right. And they were being 
so mean about her performance and saying like, oh, her accent comes and goes. She's silly. It's not like the cartoon, just on and on and on. And it's funny to remember that critique and to see her now and like <laughs> how established she is at Harley. Like by the time the uh, the Suicide Squad comes out, she'll have been Harley three times. Yeah. Um, and she I truly has owned and embodied that character. Her take is now the new take and I just wanted to to give her a quick shout out to that because I, I just yeah, think that's such like, a cool progression. I don't I don't I, I honestly don't understand that critique because I like I I want to see David Ayer's version of Suicide Squad. But I Me also too. love the Suicide Squad movie. I thought she was great in it. Um but to me that's always been Harley Quinn. Is she a little bit different than the cartoon show she was originally in? Yes. Yeah, but she that's is, okay. <laughs> it's it's fine, and she is the Harley Quinn that was in the comics at the time. That's um, true. She, she, you know, the, the roller derby kind of yeah. The roller derby being written by uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. Um, they've done. They did a huge run of her uh, in the New Fifty Two, and kind of transformed Harley into what she is today. Uh, not unlike the same transformation that, say, like Deadpool went through um, right. from when he showed up first in New Mutants to getting his own comic. You know, right. she's able to stand on her own now as a as a character. She, you know, you don't need to have the Joker with her. She has evolved from a background character to a main character. So I, I think she does a great job at encapsulating both the comic book version and her own thing. Yeah. And, and I, when I first saw Suicide Squad, I saw her, I could hear, you know, the, the fact that her accent kind of came and went, but right. I interpreted that as intentional. Like when she's Harleen, um, or when she has like those lucid moments when she's being a little more serious and dealing yep. with like what she's going through, she drops the sort of Harley persona. And I think that's like, cool because it's just like another layer to the character we don't really see that as much in this movie she's like full harley now which is fine too like that's her progression she becomes she embodies being 100 harley all the time but I, I always saw her slipping in and out of it as like a, a choice we see it we see it like once or twice when she's like analyzing another character in the movie that's true that's true which i uh, loved and that yeah. that was in the original suicide squad um, and some of the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. And I mean, I think a lot of that's because Margot Robbie went from being cast and kind of being directed on what to do. By the time she's on this movie, she's producing it and has a lot of creative control over, you know, the look of the character and the direction. So she was probably like, hey, let's bring some of that back. That's what I would like to see more of in this movie. And it's it's such a good choice because, yeah, the character is a doctor <laughs> yep. and uh, she is a psychiatrist. So. I, I I loved that in in this movie. There's a there's a recent Batman issue in which he uh, is talking to Harley Quinn, and she mentions as she does in this movie several times how she's she's a medical you know she's like a professional psychiatrist. She's like mm -hmm. you know I have a degree in psychiatry and whatever, and she's saying the same thing to Batman. And he, <laughs> Batman just turns around. And he's like, "There's no way." your license to practice psychiatry is still valid. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> She's taken um, a few liberties with her license and it's no longer valid. Yeah. Uh, but like, as, 
like, you know, we talk about favorite scenes. I think this movie starts off really strongly at the very beginning with, like, her animated version of her life. Like, her father selling her for beer, her going to the orphanage, uh, her going to, like, the the orphanage with the nuns. That, yeah, I like all that. Feed her. And then, you know, you have the animated of her, like, falling in love with two guys and then a, and then a girl who's actually drawn to, to actually look like Poison Ivy from the yes. animated series. Yes, I noticed that. Uh, and, but honestly, like, one of the best, one of the best scenes is t- right towards the beginning, like, just the look and love she has for her egg and bacon sandwich <laughs> and the heartbreak of it falling to the ground is, is I, I hope one day to love something as much as Harley Quinn loved that sandwich. I, I 100% agree. You know, and it sets the tone for the movie because is it over the top? Absolutely. Is it fun? Absolutely. And that's what you're going to get in this movie. You're going to get some good action sequences. We had the race around uh, Gotham prior to that. Um, Journey Smollett, who does her own singing, has a wonderful scene at the bar where she sings um, This is a Man's World. Yeah. Like yeah. She does a very like smokehouse, jazzy version of it. Um, we have anytime Ewan McGregor's on screen, like the only, I will say the one time this movie and kudos for it, because this movie is fun and absurd for like an hour and 40 minutes of his hour and 45 minutes runtime. There is like a five minute period that you feel very uncomfortable. And it's the one where he's like verbally dressing down the woman at the club and making her stand on the table. Yes. And, and it is it is such an uncomfortable moment that is starkly different from the rest of this movie, but it goes to show like how dark and disturbed the character is. Like he has this really kind of over the top visage, but he is he is a, a basically a monster, you know. Yeah, I remember having conversations about that scene. You know, some people were like, you know, the character, uh, it's never explicitly said, but he, it's heavily implied that he's in a relationship with Victor Zaz. And yet he makes a lot of really unsettling comments to the women in the film. Um, and then it kind of culminates to the scene. And somebody asked me, like, how. Why would uh, they have that character do that when he's like not, you know, not attracted to women? Why is he objectifying women? Okay, that's yeah. And I, my answer to that is like misogyny is bigger than just men that are attracted to women making them feel bad. Like it can come in right. a lot of forms. And I also think that it displays his narcissism as well because it's not just about you know, objectifying women. It's about like humiliating someone and making them feel terrible because he gets a lot of satisfaction and power when people feel small or are under him. And he uses a lot of language in the movie, you know, calling uh, a black canary, his little bird and things like that. Um, Harley, the second that he finds out she's not with Joker, he goes, she's mine. I want her. 
Um, for him, it's about possessing and owning people. It doesn't necessarily have to be about something sexual. Right. Um, and so th- that's how I interpreted that scene. And it, it is very uncomfortable to watch for sure. I will also say like the way he, the way you and McGregor plays him in this movie, he can very much take over the movie and not to the point where you're like, you're rooting for him, but you kind of forget like he's the villain. Yeah. I think he's a charismatic bad guy. His, right. <laughs> you're just, you're just enjoying his stuff so much. And I think this scene is in there specifically to give you the, oh, no, that's right. He, we don't like him. Like, we're not supposed to like him. Right. It doesn't and matter I, how charismatic he is. And I think in some ways he's standing in for the Joker. And, you know, that's part of Harley's arc in this movie of she goes from that really bad relationship with somebody who's controlling and terrible and a monster. And she kind of ends up almost slipping back into that pattern with Black Mask. And there's a version of the story where she could have ended up just being one of his playthings the way she was with the Joker. And even if it's not a romantic relationship, um, it's still the same dynamic of somebody that is um, controlling and evil. And yeah, there are times when the character is really fun. And like you said, you're almost rooting for him and you're on his side. And then he does something like this and you're like, you know, being charismatic and uh, magnetic is part of what enables him in the movie to get away with things. Um, and, yeah. you know, the characters that we root for, they see behind the mask. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, the, so, yeah. Like, the first scene we see him in, he's got, he's got a husband and wife upside down, they're torturing him, and he's telling his guy, you know, he's telling Zaz to cut the guy's face off, and then he's like, we'll save the, you know, save the wife, like, don't touch her. Or the little girl, goes, I think. The daughter. Uh, no, it's the, the wife. Oh, okay, okay. Because then he goes to the wife, and she's like, oh, thank you, thank you. And then he notices, like, a snot bubble in her nose. And he's like, is that a snot bubble? Ooh, no. I've changed my mind. Take, yeah. you know, cut her, you know, carve her face off. Like, the way he delivers that, yeah, it's, it's an evil act, but, he, uh, like, it's just done... It's just done in such a way like you can kind of forget that he's doing something evil. So right, because he's like I, fun and maniacal and stuff. Right. So I, you know, I don't think the scene went too far. I think in lesser hands, the scene could have gone too far. So, but I think that scene was was done very, very purposefully for that. And it was done tastefully enough that it didn't linger and didn't become like a torture porn type of scenario. And they make us forget about it really quickly, which I think is intentional. And and, and later when he's more of a monster in the movie and we see worse sides to him, we can look back on that scene and be like, well, yeah, he did slice people's faces off. That (laughs) that did happen. There there was (laughs) that slight thing he did in the beginning that maybe we should have... we should have saw coming. Um, an, another great scene is just uh, uh, Bertinelli when we see her into when she when we see her downstairs from Harley's apartment at the Chinese food restaurant. Yes, and you know the guy asks who who she is, and we have a flashback to her like standing in front of a mirror, talking to herself introducing herself like several times. To Do try you know who I am? <laughs> yes. Like that is such a great scene. And 
Like as soon as I saw that scene, I instantly fell in love with her with her version of this character. Yeah. Because you know she's just a you know she's a dork. Like she's just like all of us. And you know it was great. She was very relatable. It was fun. And then from there we have her like in the in the you know the last action sequence right before the last action sequence when they're all inside the the house and Black Canary's like I love this girl she has rage issues and she's like no I don't well it's like that character you know in the comics you know it like in the movie um her family was slaughtered in a uh mafia sort of you know warfare thing which is a really cool backstory but yeah. It's fun that, you know, that's her backstory. Then she trains herself and then goes back and starts to take out everybody that hurt her family. Um, but what's interesting about it in this movie is that uh, she does all that, but, like, her personality doesn't match how cool <laughs> her background is and her training. She's she's goofy and kind of awkward. Um, a bit of a loner, you know, because she's been She's been pretty focused. her entire life. Like, she doesn't... She doesn't, doesn't have friends, know how yeah. to she doesn't know how to interact with people, which is great. Like and yeah. you see that. You see that at the like I love her at the very end when when like Black Canary's like, Oh, I love you know, I love how you did this and this and she's like, I like how you kicked really high. <laughs> yeah. And and all the characters are kind of they're they're loners, you know. I mean that's kind of what the movie is about, uh, Journey's character, Dinah Lance, um, she's kind of worked herself into this position where she's, you know, becomes uh, the black mask driver and she doesn't trust anybody. You know, we get that really great scene with her and Renee where you find out that she's inherited her powers from her mother and her mother was a good guy, but it got her killed. And so she kind of doesn't want to follow down that path. So she kind of just doesn't trust anybody. Um, so that later when uh, she and Harley have that scene together and Harley makes a comparison between the two of them and she's kind of like, I'm not like that, but they are. They're people that don't have anybody to have their back. Um, yeah. That's that's kind of what all these characters have in common. Renee has been passed over um, in her career, not treated with the respect she deserves and doesn't have the backing from her department. You know, Harley... Um, only had the Joker and once he's gone, she's alone. And so they all kind of have this aspect to them where they, they, they really have never had like a, a little gang, you know, to be in and, and they find each other. And I, I don't know. I just kind of like the way that they frame that in the movie. Yeah. Now I have one question with, with Black Canary mm-hmm. and I notice this every time I watch the movie and I've yet to find, I've asked this question into the ether on Twitter. Okay. And I've yet to find out. So in the club, when she's talking to Harley, and I think you can see it in a few other scenes, if you look on her shoulder, she has a patch. And I can't tell if it's like a nicotine patch, because we do see her smoke here and there in the movie. Or in the comics, um, in the comics, I believe she has used like a power dampener in a similar oh. style. Um, and it's like right on her shoulder. Like, like there's a little, there's a little black spot where you can almost think it's a tattoo. But when you look at it, you can definitely see like 
you can definitely see like the clear kind of like Band-Aid style around it. Interesting. I had so, never noticed that. So I don't think yep. I have a good answer, but I've, I've asked everyone I've asked, you know, I've tried tagging Kathy. I've tried tagging journey. I tried tagging my friend Lauren who wrote like a 3 billion tweet post about this movie. Um, and no one, no one knows what it is. This is one of life's great mysteries then. I know. I wish I knew. Like, this is why I need comic conventions to come back. Seriously. So, like, somebody from Birds of Prey can be at a comic convention and be like, I need this answered so I can, <laughs> finally, so I can finally sleep at night. I hope you get that answer soon because I, I miss comic conventions as well. But I don't know, but I will be looking for that the next time I watch this for sure. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so those are some of the best scenes. And then, obviously, the fight scenes. Like, each fight scene kind of has a different style. Yes. Or at least every action sequence has a different style. You have the beginning chase with them running through Gotham. Harley's assault on the police uh, on the police precinct to get uh, Cassandra. That's probably my favorite. Yeah. Um, I, I do really love that one. And until I rewatched it again today... That would have been my favorite, but now my favorite is the entire last like forty-five minutes to to an hour at the at the booby trap, because aside from that's like the time you have them teaming up for the first time, and each person has their own like particular fighting style. True. You have Harley Quinn doing gymnastics, uh, Black Canary doing kicks, Huntress with. Um, with crossbows and just like blunt force trauma <laughs> and like taking out a cameraman in during the slide when she's punching the goon going down the slide, like it cuts away because they actually run into the cameraman. Oh no. <laughs> yes. Yep. I do think that that's the setting where that fight takes place is great too. Cause they have all these like props to work with. Yes. Um, and it's really fun to watch. I agree. The set decoration for that alone, I think is so under is so underappreciated because that entire like that entire set piece was built for just like American warrior ninja warrior style like yes. fight choreography. And like I don't know, like old broken down, you know, circuses that that's just like fun. And there's so many like animated Batman episodes where it took place somewhere like that, you know. Yeah. And it's just fun to see. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I can totally see that. Um, those are probably my two favorites, that one and, and the one in the precinct, especially the part with all the water I thought was a nice touch too. Yeah, it was, it was such a, it was, it was a nice aesthetic. Like, I don't think it really likes, like, it's great for aesthetics, but I don't think it serves a purpose <laughs> no. overall in it's, the movie. It's just, just aesthetics. Um, but you're right. Like that in, you know, in that scene, it was it was kind of a different take on the narrow corridor fights that we've been seeing ever since like daredevil season one. It's very flashy. Uh, it almost like reminds me of like a music video. I don't know, but I liked it. Yeah, No, it does. And, uh, but you know, it was, it was given so, so Harley could showcase her gymnastics ability. Like yes, it was, yeah. it was wide open. Now do there's a fan theory about the assault on the police precinct. Oh, really? That, yes. So, as we all know, like, Harley is is crazy. <laughs> and she is, she can be considered a very unreliable narrator. 
True. And she is the one kind of narrating this movie. So mm-hmm. there's a fan theory that the that her assault on the precinct when she's like shooting beanbags and glitter is like her version of events and she's actually just like killing these people. Interesting. I was going to say I like the different take of her not actually killing anybody because I felt like this part of the movie she starts to have a turn. I mean, we've seen her break legs and kill people in the beginning, but those were bad guys, you know, so we could yeah. kind of tell ourselves like that sucks, but those people really suck. So, oh well. Right. Um if yeah, she the- goes into a precinct and kills a bunch of cops, then we're going to view her as a villain. Um, right. And they, they're trying to keep her in that gray area. But that that theory, I mean, I mean it, I it like could the, be. <laughs> I like the interesting take of the theory. Yeah. And even in, like, the comics when she's now, like, I guess you would consider her an antihero. Mm-hmm. You know, she does kind of slip here and there. Yeah. But I do think it would be more of, of her character to have just gone in there with, like, beanbags and that. Because it's, like, but, fun and silly, you know, right. and, and and no one really gets hurt. It kind of keeps her from crossing that line. But, no, right. I like that like, theory she'll still. still do that. she'll still do that with, like, the bad guys, but not necessarily, like, the good guys that kind of, unfortunately, get in her way. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um. You know, for me, a couple scenes that I really liked uh, would be the one that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier with Renee Montoya and the crime scene. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, really like how that scene is shot a lot and like the replay of what happened. And I don't know. I just really I mean, I love like true crime and I love like crime shows. So <laughs> I think that's I think I'm pretty biased there, but I really, really like that part of the movie. And I thought Renee did a great or yeah, Renee did a um well uh, my words are Rosie, you know, not Rosie. Renee. R- Renee is a character. Uh I thought Rosie did a really good job in that scene and, and it made me instantly pulled into her character more. Yeah. You know, she's breaking down exactly what happened and the guy there is like you know, the guy there trying to trying to interrupt her and she's like, shut up, let me do my work. <laughs> I thought that was good. And then so there's a criticism of this film that I disagree with. You know, some people said that there wasn't enough positive male representation. Have you heard this? Uh, thankfully, I have not. OK, so I have heard from a few people that they feel that all that they went too far with making every single male character bad. Like even, um, even the guy that helps her, that lets her live upstairs, the Chinese restaurant owner. Right. Like, um, he, you know, eventually turns on her. So literally there's like no quote unquote good men in the movie, except I guess maybe the guy that makes a sandwich. Um, he's great. He's awesome. Sal. Uh, Sal. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is until somebody said that, I didn't notice that because I felt that the film is predominantly about these female characters and the push for them to rely on each other. Right. And so that's where all this abandonment is coming from. It's not like men abandon Harley. It's that, you know, she keeps rushing into these situations where like, like even with the black mask, she was kind of starting to do it again. She, you know, didn't tell everybody that Joker broke up with her because she was enjoying, like, the power that that gave her. And then even when he does, she's sort of pulled into Black Mask world and she's almost falling back into 
somebody else is like protecting her and somebody else is taking care of her. Even the restaurant owner, you know, he, I mean, he didn't really owe her anything, but once again, she kind of was looking to somebody else to protect her instead right. of looking inward and instead of trusting people that could truly have her back and identify with her. And I think those were the characters in the movie. They were all in this position of like, they kept seeking validation and support from places they weren't getting it. And ultimately they get it from each other. Um, I don't think it had a lot to do with them being men or not. A lot of them happened to be men, but I never read it as like some meta commentary on like men are terrible or something. No, <laughs> like, that seems... I thought that was from out of nowhere honest, to me. Honestly, to me, that's like... That is that is just, you know, someone looking for a reason to tear down the movie. Yeah, or or sometimes I think people get influenced by things that other people say, and then they it sounds vaguely true, and they're like, uh-oh, what if that is what the director was saying? What if this is going too far? And it's like, I just, I, I don't think they had to have one, you know, quote-unquote good guy in the movie necessarily, because the movie was focused on them. And the right. main characters happen to be women. Now, if one of the birds of prey was a male character, then yes. But I mean, like, even look at, like, Renee, Renee Montoya's situation. Her boss, I mean, there is sort of, like, a commentary about women in the workforce, especially in a male-dominated environment where she's not getting the respect that she feels like she earned because she's in a sort of a boys' club. But even her ex, uh, who's played by Ali Wong, um, doesn't really support her. She's just not supported. <laughs> In general. Right. That being said, as far as like the, the male stuff in the movie goes, look, I I am a white coming up to middle aged man. Um, I've had it really good my entire life. Uh, I am fine that there's one movie out there that, you know, might paint guys as as, you know, not all all good. Like Yeah, I, and I feel like I don't think we have to come down hard on the restaurant owner either because you know, he doesn't, okay, so she, he doesn't really know a lot about her, just that he served her her favorite dish for a long time, and then he lets her live there, but right. then when, when he's threatened, he's like, you know what, this isn't worth it, I don't really know you, I'm gonna yeah, move away, like, it's, like it's he's not doing anything bad, I mean, I'm kind of yeah. on his side, I wouldn't want her living in my attic, uh, knowing what <laughs> kind of trouble she's gonna attract with her hyena and everything, like, he didn't do anything wrong, just saying, he's not a bad guy. <laughs> it was fine until she got the hyena. Yeah, like that's a little far, you know. I, that hyena I, eats people, so. I mean, he. We only saw the hyena eat one person, and yeah, that we person saw was a bad leg. guy. So it true, was fine. he eats bad people. Yeah, I do. There's, like, yeah, I do like the fact that they originally wanted an actual hyena for the movie, and then someone was like, yeah, "That's not a good idea." <laughs> We don't need hyenas near Margot Robbie, okay? Like, I think they're Margot not domestic. One of the ones pushing for it. Oh, really? I yeah. she would be because <laughs> I mean she is a producer on the film, so yeah. Um, but yeah, they originally wanted to do that, and and I it might have been like the studio. They were like, yeah, that's not the best idea. Like, we're willing to pay for some CGI work here. Yeah, and and in the comics, she has two. Yes, and in, in the cartoon, uh, and Lou. Mm-hmm. But they they uh could not afford that. And in this version, yeah, he's named Bruce, right? Yeah, after Bruce. Just a Wayne. subtle yeah. nod, yeah. After that hunky after that hunky Wayne guy. 
Mm-hmm. I will say every time I watch this movie, and it's not like I watch it like every week or so. So like the scene in which uh, th- where she's attacked above the Chinese food restaurant and you see the hyena go after the dynamite ball. Like <laughs> I'm, I remember when I first saw it in the theater, I was at, like, I was like, no, they better not have killed the poor hyena. I know I would have been <laughs> mad. It's like, you don't kill the dog, you know? And don't then like the hyena just randomly shows up at the end. So yeah, he's fine. <laughs> he's yep, It's fine. Everything's How- fine. Can I ask you, how do you feel about Black Mask's death in this movie? I love it. It's hilarious. (laughs) It is, but it's also sad a little bit. Did you feel this way? Like, I was like, I want more Black Mask. (laughs) Yes, but that's why we had that scene, so you wouldn't feel that way. This is true. This is true. Um, He Um, had to die. She had to move on. You know, she needs closure. Yeah, Uh, you're right. Like, I would have loved for him to to come back in another film. Um, I don't know if... You know, I can't see like Ewan McGregor is a star, but I've never he's never really shown like he's too big to go back to a role or he's unwilling to like to do these roles more than once. Because, you know, he did three Star Wars movies. Exactly. I was going to (laughs) say he like if you want him and you meet the price that he's asking, chances are he'll do the movie. Sure. So. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen him do more with the role, but I mean, it's just an unconventional ending. Like it usually is. you get like usually your your franchise building and you don't necessarily want to kill off the bad guys because you might need them back down the road. But then and they do abruptly. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> one was just like let's blow them up into like five pieces. It's great. Yes. Well, um that brings me to my last couple of questions then. Uh what about this movie, like if you had to summarize it, we've talked about it, but what about this movie has you coming back to it? Like, why do you think you keep, why do you think you've seen it so many times? Um, for one, it like, I just love, like, I'm a huge DC nerd. Like, I love DC comics. I love Margot Robbie. So that's two things right there. And even, like, I thought this is one of the best cast for a, for a comic book movie in quite a while. Um, you know, I, I've liked most of the DC casting, uh, Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, but this one, like the entire cast from top to bottom, I think I really enjoyed. It's a fun action movie. It's got the kinetic pace that I kind of wanted since I saw the first, um, Suicide Squad trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one that was set to like ballroom blitz. And yes. I feel like this like I feel like this movie delivers on that first that energy, yeah, yeah, that first energy, and really like, um, to be honest, like when this movie was in production, you know, I followed it pretty closely, and then, and then the first trailer came out and they announced the date that it was going to be in theaters, and they did that like a year in advance, and this is the first movie that from the day it was announced as far as what day it was coming out like i had texted you know i either i had texted lauren or lauren texted me like we made plans that day to go see this movie that was coming out like a year from now like anything could have happened but we were like you know you know we live you know we live a few states away so i was like nope you know when it comes out we'll go um and that's kind of been our mo like we've we saw Margot Robbie's uh, movie Dreamland at Tribeca. 
Oh, cool. Uh, two years ago. So, like, and we've already made plans, like, when Margot finally gets that Barbie movie made that she's supposed to be in. Oh, yeah, I forgot about but, that. Yep, yep. We're going to be we're gonna be the only two adults in the theater at that point. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, yeah, so for one, again, I love the characters. Two, um, it's just, like, a really good common bond between me and a really good friend. So there's that, oh, that's nice. there's that aspect to it, too. That's really cool. I, you know, I've seen this movie a handful of times, but I, I don't have something that personal connecting me to it. But I, I did follow it very closely. And, you know, I, I liked a lot of the changes that were made to the Harley character in this movie. I, I like her fashion choices a lot more in this film. Uh, you know, not that I didn't like her costume in Suicide Squad, but I felt like this was sort of an evolution of the character. I liked the interpretations. We didn't talk about it, but I love the soundtrack of this film. Um, I, you know, I remember when the soundtrack came out, a lot of people were like, well, who are these people? And this isn't the kind of music I like. And I was like, you know, you might feel that way, but I think a younger audience is going to really connect with a lot of this. And, and the album did do really well, kind of like with Suicide Squad. And I like a lot of the songs in the film. Um, I mean, but yeah. they're like they're popular songs. They're, they're very know, popular that, songs. But if you're Barracuda. not like listening to stuff like that, you wouldn't know that. So you're just like, who are these people? You know, who's who's Doja Cat? Like, <laughs> so who's this blondie? Yeah, who who are yeah. these people? Oh yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, no, I I understand that. But you're right. Like the soundtrack is pretty good. But I typically like as much as I like cinematic scores and original songs. I mean, I love songs. I love recognizing songs too. Yeah. So, you know, if a movie has like a jukebox style soundtrack, I'm usually okay with it if I know the songs. Mm-hmm. And every so often I don't know the songs and I tend to like songs, you know, new songs. Yeah. I think it led me to like some, some artists uh, that I hadn't heard before for sure. Um, so my, my other question to you is like, what's your elevator pitch for this movie? Like, Pretend like someone's never seen it, and you're trying to get them to watch it. What do you say? Um, easy. It's Spice Girls meets a action movie. Okay, I like that. I like it. You know, I I was trying to think. I I wouldn't go as far as to say like Spice Girls meets Michael Bay or John. <laughs> Lee, but I, it's may- a little Tarantino-ish too at points. Yeah, maybe maybe like a. Rid- uh, not Ridley, um, his brother. Not Ridley Scott, his his brother, who's the one that I can't think of. He did Top Gun. I can look it up. Uh, it's not a name that comes to mind yeah, quickly for me. Uh, it's it's not Ridley Scott. Why well, Tony Scott? There we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's like Spice Girls meets Tony Scott. Like Tony Scott was a great action director. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, he unfortunately uh, died a few years ago, um, but he That's he had a wonderful, terrible. like, yeah, he had a wonderful filmography, um, and it's definitely, like, he was really, like, as far as 80s action go, he was one of the top ones, and this movie, like, the, the action sequences in this movie make me feel that way because it's not as over the top as some other as like a John Woo or or even Quentin Tarantino to an extent 
Right. Um, yeah, it's a little but, more subtle and then, than like, that. You, have, you definitely have that like that girl power. That girl power theme runs throughout the movie, and you really want to see these women be able to connect and do do what they want to do on their own. Yeah, I like the end cap of like, you know, there's a scene early on in the film where Harley is bringing some margaritas to the Derby girls and they're talking bad about her behind her back, about how she always goes back to the Joker, blah, blah, blah. Right. And she tumps the whole tray over. And then at the very end, she's bringing margaritas to her real friends. And I, I yes. just think that's such like a, it's it's like, it's such a girl thing <laughs> without being like too cliche. Like you feel like whoever wrote that gets it, you know? And um, right. the, the connection the girls have in the movie, I feel like, it feels really genuine and, and I really enjoy it. And I, I would just yeah. say like, if you want to see um, a superhero film, that's a little bit different from the other superhero films. It, you know, it's not, it doesn't follow like uh, any formula really. It's, it's kind of its own thing. And I appreciate it for it, it being its own thing. Absolutely. And in theory, a superhero movie in which only one person really has any powers. This is true. And she, and she only uses it once. Yeah, because, like, in the comics, sometimes Black Mask can, like, read minds, which is bizarre. But, <laughs> like, like he, he sometimes has powers, but he doesn't really need them. Like, I kind of like him better as just, like, a mob boss. Uh, but you're right. Like, he doesn't have that in this movie. And so, really, yeah, the only person with powers is Journey. Um, yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. I, I've actually had the movie on in the background with the void with the volume off as we've been doing this and they just got to the part at the end where they're in the diner and you know they're all kind of I, you're right like this just encapsulates the movie because like renee and and uh black canary like do a fist bump and and Huntress looks so, like, perplexed by it. Like, she goes to, like, try and do it, but she doesn't exactly know what she's doing. And I I honestly want to see these girls, these women, do this again. Like, yeah, I don't me care. Too. I don't care how. I don't care if it's a TV show, a movie, mm-hmm. a, a limited series. I don't care if I have to start a GoFundMe. Let's do like, it. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> right now. You know. Yeah. You know, no, I get, agree. Get these women together again. Yeah, it's it's a fun film. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I found myself watching it more than once, so I, I really recommend it. Uh, well, Palmer, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this discussion with me about oh, a film you. that you care about. I'm, I'm so glad that we got to talk about it. It's a film I enjoyed, too, um, and you definitely have to come back sometime. Absolutely. Anytime you are stuck for a guest just reach out.